good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. Let's all stand together. We'll have some more folks coming in, in just a minute. We want to worship the King of Kings. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and sing. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I found in the desert place, though I walked through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out. Darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name, blessed be your name. Sun shining down on me when the world is all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Well, there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your Blessed be your name, 
the land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. Come on, let's hear it. You guys are pathetic. Okay, well, two claps. Good job. Thank you. That's, that's what we were singing about, right? Okay, excellent. All right, well, you guys may be seated. I, yeah, I have, I'm, in case you can't see, I am sporting the Baylor shirt. I thought maybe I'd wait till a bigger win, but we might not have another one, so I thought I'm going to enjoy it while I can. So that was a fun day yesterday, at least for some of us. So welcome. If you guys are a guest here this morning, we are really, really glad that you're here, and we want to, we want to welcome you. We want to say hello, and in the bulletin, there is a tab that if you would fill out and turn it at the Welcome Center, uh, Pastor Grant wants to write you a, just a handwritten note, and we want to give you a gift and just welcome you to fellowship. We want to make sure everybody knows that we are kicking off our second Pray For Me campaign, and Pray For Me is a nationwide campaign where adults can pray for our youth. So uh, if you have ever kind of muttered to yourself, oh, today's kids, and then said something, uh, this is your chance to actually make a difference. So there's a table out in the foyer where we have kids for our 7th to 12th graders that would love to be prayed for. So you might be uh, a senior adult, and you have an opportunity to grab a card with one of the kids' pictures and just some ways that you can be praying for them. And this is just really just meant to be an intergenerational way to connect. You know, you can be in your 50s, 60s, 70s and have an impact through prayer and relationship if you want to make that investment relationally as well in some of our youth. And so that is the nationwide Pray For Me campaign that we are a part of, and we'd love for you to be a part of it as well. Well, I also want to let you know that our leadership team is very excited to announce that we are presenting Mike Strauss to you, uh, our church body, for affirmation to join our elder board. Uh, I'm, my name is Brian Davis. I'm one of the elders, and, and Mike has been um, interfacing with the elder board for the past two or three months as we have each sought to get to know each other in that elder capacity, and we would like to present him for, for affirmation. Mike and Kay, his wife, have been a part of fellowship for a number of years. Mike has been pretty involved in men's ministry. He, he, we give him, he teaches the easy stuff like minor prophets and Hebrews, and he's also part of the leadership team for our forerunners uh, ministry. And so uh, part of our constitution and bylaws is to ask for affirmation and, and comments, questions from our church body. And so for the next two Sundays, we'll be presenting that to you, and then we would seek to affirm him uh, Sunday, October 15th, through some cards that we will have available then. And so that's Mike's picture. Um, I think he was in Hawaii filming Magnum P.I. maybe when they took that picture. Now that he's been participating with us, he looks a little bit older than that, but that still should get you to Mike if you wanted to talk to him as well. Well, our next song, uh, we are going to sing My Soul Will Wait, and that's based on Psalm 62. And so just to give you context, I was reading that this week. If we jump in in verse 3, this is David, and he's talking about his enemies who are pursuing him. And he says, how long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. So these are his enemies that are after him. They're seeking to take his crown, his throne, his life. And this is what he says, the very next verse. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. 
My salvation and honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. And then that kind of spills out of him. And here's what he says to us. He says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. So with that, would you stand and let's worship.
in the Lord as our Savior, our Defender, our Fortress, our Rock. You know, this next song we're going to sing is one that's, I think, familiar to most everybody. And at the end, in the last verse, it talks about God's goodness binding us to Him like a fetter. It's not really a word we use very commonly in present-day English. That word just means that it's a binding. It's, a, it's a, uh, like, like a handcuffing, if you will, to Him so that our wandering heart would not wander um, because we are, tent- we are prone to wander. And so let us sing this song. Let us let God tune our hearts to sing his praise. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, Mount of God's redeeming love.
205. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Den gracias al Señor. Invoquen su nombre. Den a conocer sus obras entre los pueblos. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Cántenle, cántenle. Hablen de todas sus maravillas. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Gloriense en su santo nombre. Alegres el corazón de los que buscan al Señor. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Busquen al Señor y su fortaleza. Busquen su rostro continuamente. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. Recuerden las maravillas que él ha hecho, sus prodigios y los juicios de su boca. You, his servants, the descendants of Abraham, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. Oh, simiente de Abraham, su siervo, hijos de Jacob, sus escogidos. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Él es el Señor nuestro Dios. Sus juicios están en toda la tierra. Thank you. So let me just lead us in a time of prayer. So if you want to have a seat, as we have just heard the scriptures read, would you declare in the quietness of prayer with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? our God is a living hope. Would you praise him that he is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the creator and sustainer of all things? Would you exalt him that he has made humanity in his image, that he is all-powerful, he is all-wise, He is the God of justice. Would you praise him that he is upholding justice in the universe? Would you thank him that he's a God of mercy, grace, that his love knows no ends? In prayer, would you join the angelic realm declaring that God is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. By the times that we have not walked in the holiness of God, attitudes that were off, actions that were wrong, words that were said that just simply weren't in keeping with His grace and His goodness, would you right now confess any sin that the Spirit of God brings to your mind? Pour it out. Turn from it. And receive the grace that comes from being unconditionally loved by Christ. And like Psalm 62 says, pour out your heart before the Lord. So those matters of great concern, deep struggle, the questions that you have, the obstacles that seem too great, the resources that don't seem sufficient, would you 
Would you bring these matters to him? thank him for his goodness and how he specifically has blessed you. And at the beginning of the week, would you simply bring your life and the opportunities that are in front of you and ask God to work in your heart to do his life and work out his good purposes in you and through you. Would this be true in our praises and how we go about the work that he's put in front of us through our sacrificial giving, through how we're looking to share and show the love of Christ with the people we come in contact with. Oh God, be magnified through our lives. We love you because you first loved us. We pray all of this and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
living hope because our God is alive and we have all the opportunity to live in his grace and his strength. So let's just go to him before him in prayer. Lord, what a joy and a privilege it is to worship you, the living God. The God who gives us hope, gives us hope in every circumstance, difficulties, darkness, discouragement. You, oh God, are working out your plans. You're fashioning us into the likeness of your Son. You're accomplishing your goodwill and your purposes in this life, in this generation, in this world. And so we're asking now, Lord, that as we turn to your word, that you would, through the working of your Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the wonders of your grace. Accomplish your work through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to Second Timothy, uh, we are systematically making our way through this book. That's one of the things that we do here at Fellowship Bible Church is we take a book of the Bible, we go through it passage by passage. And if you're new here, my name is Grant Call. I'm one of the pastors here. Absolute delight to have you with us. Make sure you just fill out that little welcome tab, leave it at the uh, information desk. I'd love to just write you a personal thank you note for being with us. So we're in Second Timothy chapter 2 this morning. I'll tell you this, our lives reflect our priorities. So if you want to know what your priorities are, just take a look at what occupies your time. Where do you put a lot of energy toward? What, what really has grabbed your heart? Where do your finances go? Because all you have to do is just take a look at your life. It'll help you understand your priorities. Pastor Rico Tice was at a funeral, and uh, 
at the end of the funeral, there was an older lady that approached him, and she said, Rico, do you know what failure is? And I want you to know, like, as a pastor, you're like, okay, where are we even going with a question like this? Are you thinking, like, I'm the failure? What, what's, what's going on with this? She goes, he said, no, would you, would you tell me? And he said, you know, what she told me next, I have never forgotten. And she said this, failure is being successful at the things that don't matter. I thought about that. Failure is being successful at the things that really don't matter. And he went on to write, success, though, is hearing well done from the only lips that matter. As we begin our time in the Word of God this morning, I just want to ask you a question. When it comes to your life, what is really important? I mean, what is really important? What are your true life priorities? You know, the ability to actually know what your life priorities are, why there's such significant blessing that comes from that. It helps us wade through all sorts of decisions. It gives us perspective in the matters of our life. If you need persistence and perseverance as to what I need to do, I want you to know that if you know what your life priorities are, you've, you've researched these, you've talked with God about them, you've taken a look at the Bible, and you can articulate them, you know what they are, why, well, I could make a world of difference. It'll allow you to persevere. It'll give you even a passion, like, this is what my life is about. This is where I'm going. And if you are in a season of great discouragement or even depression, knowing your priorities and asking God for him to help you fulfill them in this life, why, it'll be absolutely life-changing. And as we saw last week in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we have the top two life priorities for life-giving disciples. The first one, chapter 2, verse 1, is that you want to develop a lifestyle of growing in grace. Take a look. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, right? And we want to live in the riches of relationship of knowing the living God. The unmerited favor, the blessings that come from knowing him, that is the absolute top priority. God wants us to know him, to love him, to enjoy him, to live in the wonders and the joy and the peace of relationship with him. And then the second priority we saw in verse 2, and that is you want to disciple believers with a clear plan for growth. You see, our lives reflect our priorities. And so you're looking at those two top priorities and you're like, well, what does that look like? And remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. The Apostle Paul in the maritime dungeon, he's in Rome. He's simply awaiting his execution. He's merely rotting before he dies. He's going to be executed. And he knows that. And so he's writing this letter to his protege, a pastor named Timothy in Ephesus, about 830 miles to the east. A man who is obviously going through difficulties and discouragement. A man who needs to be clear as to what his priorities are and to live them out in God's strength. And so what the Apostle Paul is going to do is he's going to highlight three different occupations that were very well known in the first century and frankly are well known today. And they actually talk about with clear, what is clarity and living your life with convictions and a passion about your priorities. What does that look like? What does it look like to live with clearly defined priorities? Well, I want you to know the answer to that question. And we all really would like to know that because if we can do this, friends, friends, we're going to experience everything that God has for us. We will see that our lives do have significance. 
And we'll move away from just being successful to actually having significance and walking in God's joy, knowing that we fulfilled his purposes in our lives. So what does that look like? These verses are going to show us. And the first thing you need to see, the qualities and mindset of of Christ-centered disciples is chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We need to have dedication like a soldier. Notice what he says, verse 3, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So Paul oftentimes utilized military metaphors because there's a lot we can learn about endurance, perspective, priorities. You see, a, a soldier, his number one obligation, top priority, fulfill what the commanding officer is asking to do and, have, and to do it in the right manner with the right heart. And so what he's saying is, Timothy, you need to suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Suffer hardship has the idea that you are willing and and you're going to embrace the challenge and the difficulties. And it's said of soldiers that fight together in battle, there is a unique and very special bond that occurs. You even see this sometimes in athletics, athletes that work together as a team going through great difficulty, people in business that are going to tackle on a gigantic project, folks in ministry that have locked arms together and they're moving forward no matter what the discouragement or the difficulties they're encountering, there's a special bond. It's like you've been through the battles and the war together. And that's what Timothy is, is, is invited to experience. Suffer hardship with me. Because we already know, like chapter, t- chapter 1, verse 7, that Paul is addressing the fact that Timothy has become timid, fearful, but God gives power, love, and discipline. So suffer hardship with me. Do not be overwhelmed by your challenges. And you're like, well, what, what possible hardships do you face when you're involved in God's kingdom ministry? Whether you're a pastor or not, whether you're a missionary or just someone that's involved in investing in the lives of people in your church, you're, you're making disciples like we've been discussing. Well, what kind of hardships could you maybe expect? Well, first of all, I want you it's hard work. And uh, there's a lot of folks that are just kind of on anything that, that work that's like hard. I'm always looking for the way out. There are difficult circumstances. There are disappointing outcomes. There are people and even coworkers that will let you down. Folks that really have an opportunity to stand strong, move forward, and they kind of just bail on you. That takes a lot out of you. Suffer hardship. There is depleted resources. You never seem to have all that you need. It keeps you very God-dependent. And then, of course, you have to deal with dysfunction. And then there's fatigue, okay? And this can take a lot of different forms. Mental fatigue, physical. You just literally wear out. You're exhausted. Emotional, relational. Uh, Even like compassion fatigue. It's just like wave after wave of broken lives. And and I want you to know that apart from the grace of God of bringing strength and renewal in your life, it can wear you down. And yet Paul is saying, in the midst of these struggles, suffer hardship with me. Stuart Briscoe gave these qualifications of a pastor. So you might take note, like, if you have these qualifications, maybe you'd be a good pastor. He said they need to have a mind of a scholar, they need to have a heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros, okay? If you got those three, why, you might be a good candidate for a pastor. You see... What Paul is writing to Timothy is that you need to expect hardship. Don't be surprised when it occurs. You should expect it. 
It comes with the territory. Anytime God is advancing his kingdom in a fallen world with fallen people, there are going to be challenges. You know, and you we kind of expect that from the world, right? Yeah, the world, people in the world, they, they have yet to place their faith in Christ. They are still lost in darkness. They're not really fans of the kingdom of God or his gospel. And if there's going to be heat that's turned up. And it can be very difficult. But you need to understand that you're even going to face it with people who identify as Christians in the church. And that'll really take it out of you. And Paul is inviting you, inviting Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Verse 4, notice what he says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. The idea of being entangled is you're so caught up where you become immobile. You like trip up. He says, you want to be a good soldier that is focused on the commander. And don't get so entangled in the affairs of everyday life that you really can't move forward. Now, some people have taken verse 4 and they have misinterpreted it and basically created these two categories. And maybe you've heard of them. You have the sacred category. These are the people that they're doing the Lord's work. They're involved in a Christian ministry. They have somehow got themselves on a church staff somewhere. They're missionaries. And they're doing the things that are really important and really holy. Everybody else, well, not so much. You are in what we call the secular work, okay? And, and people say things like this, like, well, what I'm doing, it's all going to burn. And it doesn't matter. I want you to know the Bible makes absolutely no distinction that way whatsoever. You don't want to put yourself in a situation where you lose focus. You become distracted from the priority of knowing Christ, worshiping him, and being involved in his ministry. And it's easy to do. There are distractions everywhere. But the whole idea that, well, I'm not, what I'm doing is not really important, that would be incorrect. God has called you to himself. You represent him. You represent Christ and his kingdom exactly in your school, at your job, in your community, in your family. He intends to do his work in you and through you. You are the light of the world, right? That's what Jesus said, and the salt of the earth. You were in the ministry. Did you know that? And it's like, you're either a missionary or a mission field, okay? But if you know Christ, you're in the ministry. God's doing his work in you and through you. So don't get so caught up where you lose focus of who God is and what he's called you to do. And so I want you to know also something is that we do not bear all these burdens, these sufferings, on our own. Let me give you a great promise of Scripture. Psalm 68, verse 19. It simply says this, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden. The God who is our salvation, Selah, pause, think about it. Think of that. It is God, the Lord himself, who daily bears our burdens. He's doing his work in us and through us. It's like I was driving with my family yesterday, and we were listening to this song where God, we are fighting battles that God has already won. Do you know that? He's already won them, but we're fighting them in his strength. And so we lean on him. And please understand We're so focused on having the ideal circumstances, and nothing wrong to having good circumstances, certainly my preference. But know this, 
that even in your difficulties and the ways that things aren't working out the way quite you might want them, God is not so interested in us having the perfect circumstances as he is in developing us into the people he desires us to become. And he oftentimes does that through difficulty, challenges, as he shapes us in the image of Jesus. But notice what we see from this text. Good soldiers live by their priorities. Let me give you another quality and mindset of a Christ-centered disciple. As Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, hey, listen, let me show you what it looks like to live out your life priorities. Certainly you see that with soldiers. They're clear on their priorities. They're living it. Let me give you another example, and that of an athlete. You need to have the discipline like an athlete. Take a look, chapter 2, verse 5. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So here now, Paul is calling to mind uh, to Timothy those athletic games that would be very common in their culture. And they all get started with the Greeks, the Greek Olympic Games. And these Greek Olympic Games were then carried on by the Romans. And even the modern-day Olympiad is based on these Greek athletic games. There were three qualifications that you have. One was related to birth. You had to be a true-born Greek. The second is you had to follow a 10-month training. And it was rather rigorous. It was very specific. And you, at the end of 10 months, before you could compete in whatever you're going to be competing in, you had to make an oath before a statue of Zeus that you followed through with it, okay? If, if not, or you were caught, like, cheating, you hadn't honored your preparation, you didn't honor the sport by preparing well, you cut some corners, you were disqualified. And then, of course... There are rules in whatever sport you're competing in. So whether it's running or leaping or boxing or wrestling, you had to follow the rules of the sport while you're competing. And if you didn't, you were disqualified, right? And that makes sense, right? So like, for instance, if you're like in wrestling, you're like, okay, I get it. I need to pin this guy into submission. But it would be so much easier if I had a knife. You know what I'm saying? Well, you would be disqualified because like, no, this is wrestling, grappling, you can't use a knife or a club or anything like that. You can't trip someone when they're running. Look, I won the race. It's down on the ground. You understand that. That makes sense. And of course, what happens is if you did break one of the rules, you were disqualified. It didn't mean that you were disqualified forever. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You broke the rules back there 12 years ago. You can never compete again. No, what it did mean, though, is that your integrity would take a hit. And you had to rebuild that. You had to come back. You had to once again build up your integrity and do things well. I want you to know that there's some things for us to learn if we're going to live out our priorities from athletes. It's going to require discipline. It's going to require strength and commitment like we see here in verse 5. This isn't legalism. Legalism is like, hey, i got to follow these rules, and that earns God's favor, and he gives me salvation. And the idea is that, well, I earned the salvation, and I keep my salvation by doing these good things or whatever I'm, rules that I've made up. I want you to know that's wrong thinking, and it's going to take you in some really painful directions that are not biblical. Salvation is all of grace. You didn't earn it, most certainly not, and you don't actually even keep it. It's God who does that. But we who know Christ, God fully intends that we will follow him, right? He is our commanding officer, We are very interested in what God has for us. 
And so that is why genuine Christians are very interested in God's word. They're going to read it on a regular basis. They're going to want to be in a church that is preaching the word. They're going to want to be actively studying the word. Why? Because they're very interested in living out the life that God intended in his strength. And so you're like, what sort of things would you find in the Bible? Well, I'll give you like some. Like, for instance, you're to abstain from sexual immorality. So all sex outside of marriage. I know we're in this LGBTQ plus business here, but I want you to know God has absolute clarity. That's the ways of the world. You may have lived like that at one point, but I want you to know he can cleanse you. And he brings health, healing, and wholeness in Christ. And he intends for us to live a holy life. I'll give you some others. We're to be kind to one another. Husbands, you're to love your wife. Like how? Like Christ loved the church, right? We're to love one another. There is so much that are written in the word, and they're actually imperatives. That means a command. These aren't suggestions like, well, here's some helpful hints that maybe improve your life. These are commands and imperatives from God himself. And if we know the living God, he has truly brought redemption to our life, we are very interested in what he wants from us. And so that means that we're going to have to discipline ourselves. We're not going to defect from the true doctrine or have our character or morality compromised by our flesh. And we understand this. Athletes have to follow the rules. They have to discipline themselves if they're going to be successful. So, for instance, we know that athletes, you can't use, like, performance-enhancing drugs, okay? If you do and you're caught, guess what? You're disqualified. Or um, we know, like, baseball pitchers. You can't scuff the ball. You can't put pine tar or spider tack on the ball, I, I actually wasn't very familiar with spider tack. I, I watched a video on it. Like with spider tack, just a little bit, like on your finger, you can literally suspend a baseball like that, okay? It's a cool little trick. It'll fascinate little children, but it is illegal in baseball. And of course, as we have now uh, learned, there's the notorious mixture of sunscreen and sweat. Mm-mm-mm. Can't do that, right? That's going to affect the ball. You're disqualified. You're out. You're going to sit out. You're going to pay a fine. You can't do that. That's called cheating, We understand that. You're disqualified. Uh, Kendall Schler, April 2015, running at the Go St. Louis Marathon. Uh, She supposedly won. She had her photo taken with uh, Jackie Joyner-Kersey. She received a $1,500 prize. There was something rather surprising when she finished. There she is. Uh, She hadn't even broke a sweat. She didn't even look fatigued at all. And people were like, what? I mean, if if you've run a marathon, I want you to know. And you won it? You don't look like that. It's taken everything out of you. But, you know, they just couldn't figure it out until they did. She had actually never been to any of the checkpoints. She just somehow slipped in, and she finished in first place. Guess what? The money, we want it back. The picture, tear it up. You didn't win. You cheated. Perhaps the most infamous cheating scandal in, um, like for runners is Rosie Ruiz. 1979, she's running the New York Marathon. And, uh, you know, the whole goal is, like, you want to get to the finish line as fast as possible. And so Rosie was like, you know, you could run and do this, or you could take public transit. And so she did. She kind of took a breather there, and really, you make really good time on public transit. Hops back in, wins. Goes undetected. 
Then, uh, following up at the Boston Marathon, she tried the same trick where she was caught. And then they figured out, hey, you cheated back there, you cheated here. Guess what? DQ'd. I want you to know, Christian, you can disqualify yourself. And it'll set you on the sidelines. And I want you to know, Satan is a master at getting Christians onto the sideline and DQ'd. Let me give you the big three. Top three areas, by the way, Satan's been after this and at this for some time. He's quite experienced. Let me tell you where he's going to hit you. Sex outside of marriage. Second, money, greed. It's not wrong to have money, but it is wrong when money has you. And I want you to know money, greed, resources, they can be a luring idol. They can all of a sudden, you know, like kind of own you. It's not wrong to to have money. It's wrong when money has you and owns you. Let me give you the third one. Power, pride, just that preoccupation with self and self-promotion. This is where he hits. These are, he's got other schemes, but these are the top three. And you know, you know, if you've done things that you've compromised doctrine, you've compromised morality, integrity, you're going to take a hit. You are disqualified, but not forever, just like those athletes. Because, you know, we have the gospel of grace. We always have the cleansing that is found in Jesus. And yeah, there may be some building up that needs to take place, but God will provide. And, you know, I will tell you this. If you're a Christian, let's say you've really blown up your life. I mean, we're talking huge disaster. Do you know that there are earthly implications for your choices and decisions? And you likely are experiencing them, as are others around you, but not eternal ones. Did you know that? Because of the gospel of grace. You see, there is a prize when we run the race and we discipline ourselves. And so like Paul, he uses the same imagery in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. He says this, Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? This whole idea of like everybody's a winner and everybody came in first place? No, not really, not so much. That's not reality. One receives the prize. So you get the idea? I want to win. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. You see that? Self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Our strongest temptations come when we're not satisfied with Christ. And I want you to know that you and I will always face temptations. These are like invitations to trip up and fall down. And they're out there and they're plentiful and we've talked about these. But know this, God will always give you a way out. Really? Yeah, I can guarantee it. Are you kidding me? What's that guarantee? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. You might want to take a note. It says this, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, okay? So what you're facing, not unique. Satan would like you to think this is unique, but no, pretty sure others have faced the same thing. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you'll be able to endure it. There's always a way out. And so the shortest prayer in the Bible, and a real good one, you might want to memorize it, is this, Lord, save me, and he will. You ask God, how do I get out? Help me. And he will. 
You can run, turn off the TV, call your friend. You can just think of Jesus, pick up your Bible. I want you to know there is always a way out. But you know, you can do some pretty great things, and you can be very talented and very gifted. But you can also be sitting on the sideline. And we understand that if that's the case, there's going to be some healing that takes place. You know, like, for instance, if you break your arm or break a bone in your body, uh, you know, you're going to have to heal up for a while. You're not just instantly made better after you broke an arm. Like, once I broke both of my wrists at the same time, okay? I've had multiple broken body, bones in my body. They actually say that you're stronger, apparently, after you've broken the bones. So hopefully I'm stronger now than when I got started, right? But, you know, like, having and wearing those casts, kind of a pain, you know what I'm saying? But it's all part of the recovery process. Or like if your chair and it's broken, well, you got to repair it. It can be repaired and it can be like new again, but God is the one who does the work. And I find that the people that are healed, they're humble. You got to come to a place where say, God, please help me. I need you. I need your strength and I need your healing. And I've sinned. You take responsibility for your actions. When you're at that point, the healing begins. Another thing I'd like to point out here on this uh, athlete, discipline like an athlete, people think that freedom is kind of juxtaposed to discipline. It's kind of like the idea, like, freedom's on one side, discipline's on the other. We really, we just want freedom, freedom, freedom. And like, discipline, nose to the grindstone, continual faithful, mm-mm, that's, I'm into freedom. Actually, freedom is the outworking of discipline. I mean, you get this. I, I think it's always good for everyone to have a little bit of athletics in their background. Because in order to really have the freedom to perform really well, it requires a lot of discipline. So like when you watch an amazing skater or a gymnast or a runner or a basketball, and they're like, how does she do that? Or how can they possibly have those kind of skills? They literally run and it looks like they're flying you know, like every Olympics, everybody around the world is like, oh, I love that. That's going to be me. I want to do that. I'm like, really? Do you really want to do that? Well, do you know the kind of discipline it takes to perform at that level? Well, there's a lot of things that you say no to. There's a lot of just ongoing training and difficulty behind the scenes in order to be able to perform at that level. And that's true in the Christian life it's going to require some discipline. You're going to have to say no to those temptations. It's like our flesh and our body. We're opposed to that. I'll give you a name. Tom Landry, professional football coach, player, World War II veteran. He's considered one of the greatest head coaches of all time. In his 29 years with the Dallas Cowboys, he went to five Super Bowls. And in his autobiography, he wrote this. The job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. Want you to know, you want to go play at a Super Bowl? Well, that's going to require a lot of discipline. And we got a guy in our church that played in three Super Bowls for Tom Landry. And in talking with him, he told me that cost us so much. We had to do things we did not want to do in order to achieve something we always wanted to achieve. And so you'll find it in the Christian life, and God will give you the grace to do it. Successful athletes live by their priorities. And then finally, Paul highlights in verse 6 another quality and mindset of Christ-centered disciples, and that is they have diligence like a farmer. You see that? 
He keeps bringing people to mind that really know what their priorities are and they're living with clarity and passion. Look at verse 6. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. If you want to know what hard work looks like, go hang out with a farmer, okay? Yeah, you're like, I have a hard job. Probably do. But think of farmers up early, working late, okay? And you have to give yourself. And it's all about the harvest, right? So there's a lot of discipline that's involved here. So when it's, when it's time to plant, you don't like, well, yeah, but this is the great time to go and look at flowers, and my wife wants to go on a vacation. I'll plant later. Uh-uh. You got a time to plant, you plant. When the weeds show up, guess what you do? You're out there, you're addressing those things. And when it comes harvest time, you got to be about the harvest. And then it's not just the harvest, but then you have to bring that harvest, and you either have to store it, or you got to bring it to market, okay? And then, of course, farmers... They have to be kind of like eternal optimists, but they also have to be people of prayer because there's all sorts of reasons why their crop could fail, right? There could be disease, there's bugs, right? Uh, Could be bad weather, hail. Oh my, that could just destroy a crop just like that. I want you to know that you got all this adversity. You know, farmers, there's a lot that they can't control about raising crops. Did you know that? But what they do is focus on what they can control control, and they focus on it with great diligence. And so that's what Paul is highlighting with Timothy. You want to be hardworking, like a farmer, who ought to be received the first to their, of their share of the crops. So that's, well, think of it. So when the farmer, they finally get to harvest, right? And they get that first cutting of wheat, right? Well, you know, they could potentially like grind that up, and they could make the bread. They're the first ones to get it. And I want you to know, that bread, that, that got all that sweat and toil and prayer, you know, sometimes even tears, all that hard work, guess what? You've never had such good-tasting bread. You were vitally involved in the process. But furthermore, guess what? You've got wheat and bread to share with lots of people. And so it is in the Christian life. You continue to live out your priorities in God's strength. God produces fruit through His Spirit in your life. We're familiar with it like love and joy. Peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You've got what's called wisdom. You've got gravitas. You're not just making flippant feeling decisions all the time. You actually know what your priorities are. You can live with them. There's weight. There's maturity. People want to be around like that. people like that. You have so much to offer. And you know who the first one is to be blessed with a godly life? You are. And there's so many of you that know that. Like, it is good to walk with Jesus to experience his forgiveness, to know his cleansing, to experience his strength, to experience the joy of just maturely walking with him. I want you to know that so many people around you are blessed by your life. That's all by God's divine design. You're sharing the crops of his work in your life. We kind of have this global trend right now of looking for the quick fix. There just has to be something I need to say, flip a switch, do something, and it'll all happen just magically, Right? That's why gambling is so appealing to people. Like, really? I could just be a millionaire? I just have to buy these tickets, right? So you spend money you don't have? It's, do you know that that's just a complete waste of your time and your resources? There's no quick fix when it comes to godliness. No, it's uh, living by your priorities. It's more like a farmer. Weeds grow up overnight, not crops. And that's what Paul is bringing to mind.
You see, hardworking farmers, they live by their priorities. And look what he says in verse 7. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Here is God's promise that the Lord himself, he'll give you understanding in every aspect of your life. You need to go to him, ask him. You're, you're coming across a difficult passage? Go to the Lord. You're not sure what to do. You got big decisions in front of you. You're not sure what the path of wisdom is or how to fa- handle this temptation. I want you to know God will give you wisdom. He's the one who will supply these things. Here is an invitation to become a contemplative Christian, to develop the patterns of seeking and searching the Lord. You see, all of this is a call to establishing and living your priorities. And that's what I'm challenging you to do. To come to God, consult your Bible, perhaps a trusted friend who's got wisdom, and start figuring out what are the priorities that God would have for your life. What are, where do you need to be making the critical investments in a lifetime? So let me give you like this illustration. I want you to envision a large glass jar, okay? And by this glass jar, you have these like large rocks. And you say, okay, watch. I'm going to fill up this jar and I'm going to start, I'm going to put these large rocks in there. And so you do. And then you say, hey, is the jar full? And there'll be some people like, yes, the jar's full. It's full of the big rocks. Yes, it is full. But you know what? You can add more. You can add pebbles. And so you take some pebbles and you pour them in there and they kind of matriculate down and all of a sudden you got pebbles in the midst of all the big rocks in there, okay? And then you ask, is it full? And like some people are like, well, I'm not sure. I was wrong last time. Never know what to say. How about not maybe? Like, you know what? Guess what we can do? We can pour sand in that glass jar. And so you start pouring sand and guess what? That sand goes in between those pebbles and those big rocks. You ask, is it full? And like, yeah, it's full. Actually, We could add water, and you can pour some water in there. Now you say, is it full? And indeed, it is. And you're like, okay, Grant, where are you going with this? I'm going with this this way. Those big rocks, those are your top priorities. Those are the top priorities in your life. And you want to start with them and make sure that they're in the jar. And the pebbles, why those are important things, okay, Um, but they're not certainly like the big life priorities. And then, of course, there's just the, all the everyday stuff and all the opportunities and distractions and whatever. Uh, sand, water, okay? Nothing wrong with it. It's just that you don't want to come to a place in your life where you've really focused on pebbles. Well, they were good pebbles, you know? And you put a lot of them in there, and you've got lots of sand and water because it's easy, you know? You just pour sand and water in there. But then you like notice, like, these big rocks are really important, and they're sitting outside the jar. And I can't get them in. And it's, what it looks like in life is this. Oh, yeah, I had lots of sand and water and pebble moments in my life. But my marriage is a disaster. My kids hate me. I don't seem to have any purpose in life. I can't really seem to even hold down a job. I, I don't really have any kingdom investment involvement. And, and here I am, and I'm getting older and older, and I've got these big rocks sitting out. But my jar is pretty full of pebbles, sand, and water Friends, you do not want to be in that situation. So what you want to do is you want to have clarity as to your priorities so you can focus on them. And so we're challenging the entire church, this is what we're doing, to actually write out your life priorities. 
Go to God, consult your Bible, talk with some wise friends. And this is going to be a process, but I encourage you, it'll be so worthwhile. It'll make decisions so much easier. It'll keep you with perspective, give you a passion for moving forward. You'll be able to persevere because you actually know what direction God has called you to go, and that's what you want to do. You see, our lives reflect our priorities, so I'll give you mine. So, like, overarching theme for my life, my life is my ministry. I want to live a fully integrated life, okay? So who I am at the church office, Sunday morning, Wednesday, whatever, is the same guy that you see early in the morning out in the community. If I happen to be in a store, it's just I'm the same guy, no matter what. And so I'll give you my priorities. I want to grow in a mature relationship with God. I I don't want to settle for the superficial. I want to manifest the character of Christ. And by the way, I've tried to put these in order. Third, I want to enjoy a meaningful relationship with my wife and my family. Four, I want to maintain a healthy lifestyle. And five, I want to engage in missional and meaningful disciple-making ministry. Those are my priorities. And I want you to know I've, I've had them for years, and I have failed on a variety of occasions. Uh, I can tell you that, uh, that disciple-making ministry, my work being a pastor, I want you to know that that has sometimes taken precedence over my family and my health. And I say that to my own shame. I can't get that back. But I will tell you one of the benefits of knowing what my priorities are is that God has a way of like, okay, you're a little out of kilter here. You got some things out of order. There's some changes that need to take place. And God can provide that. But our lives reflect our priorities. And so I want you to consider what yours are because you don't want to waste your life. John Stott, one of the great Christian leaders of this recent time, preacher, Bible teacher, evangelist, author, friend of many. By the way, he, uh, he never married. And Oskinis uh, writes of meeting with him about three weeks before John Stott passed away. And he said this, quote, I knew him over many decades, but I will never forget my last visit to his bedside three weeks before he died. After an unforgettable hour and more of sharing many memories over many years, I asked him, how would he like me to pray for him? Lying weakly on his back and barely able to speak, he answered in a hoarse whisper, pray that I will be faithful to Jesus until my last breath. Would that such a prayer be the passion of our generation too? You know what that is? That's a guy who knows what his priorities are, and he's living them until God takes him home. And so that's what you and I want to do. Ask God to help us have clarity and to live them out. Our lives reflect our priorities. After all, failure is succeeding at the things that don't really matter. But success is hearing well done from the only lips that matter. And let me uh, give you a picture of a young lady in our church who is not only knowing what her life priorities are, but seeking to live them. Let's watch this. So how I came up with my life priorities really started uh, when I was a teenager. And my dad had, uh, who was my pastor at the time, and we were missionaries, had kind of gone over with me about how we should set up our priorities to be like a triangle. And so at the tippy top is going to be God. 
then next on the list is going to be your spouse. Next on the list is going to be your children. And then after that comes everything else. So that's your job, your friends, and pretty much anyone else that needs to be on that list. And so when Pastor Grant asked us to come up with our life priorities, um, I had already had something in my mind. And so my first life priority is to know God and to make him known and to honor and glorify him with my life in all the roles that he has bestowed upon me. Now, when I was a teenager, it was just to know him and to make him known. And then as more roles in my life have come about, including being a wife and being a mother, that's when I sort of added to honor and glorify him with every role that he has bestowed upon me. The second role goes along with that second priority, which is to be a spouse. And so I wrote that it is to be a faithful wife, a helper who encourages and points my husband to Christ. The third one is going to be that third role to my children, and that is to be a loving mother who leads, leads by example my children to be imitators of Christ. Next is going to be to be a servant leader in my job as a family medicine physician, remembering that um, my job is not only my mission field, but also my calling, and remembering that God is the great physician, and I'm just a tool and vessel in his hands to bring education, wisdom, and healing to the sick and broken. Next is going to be um, to be a daughter who honors and respects her parents, even when they're far away or even when it's hard to love them. Next is going to be to be a friend and a sister who is selfless and wise and to be someone who understands the power of words and uses them to build up and not to tear down. And then lastly is to be a good steward with my time, my body, and my finances. And that's how I came up with my life priorities. Friends, our lives reflect our priorities. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for just the eternal privilege it is to come before you and to open up your word as you open up our lives. You are establishing us as people of grace who live and walk in your love. For someone who is here today who has never truly trusted you, would they just pray with me now and say, God, I turn from myself and my sin. I believe that Jesus died on a cross in my place. I need your forgiveness. I need his resurrected life. I'm placing my faith in him now. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, God, we're asking that we would walk in your ways, that we would live out the priorities that you've established in our lives. We thank you for your grace, and we look forward, God, to all that you're going to do in us and through us. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Grant. The line, our greatest temptation comes when we are least satisfied in Christ. Let us stand together and acknowledge our need every hour for Christ. Lord, I come. I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest and without you I fall apart you're the one that guides my heart Lord I need oh I need you every hour I need Oh, 
teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my You're my hope and stay When I cannot stand I fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay Oh, I need you Oh, I need you How true is that? We truly do need him every hour. Because how tragic would it be to be successful of the earthly things and not be significant of the eternal? And that's really our calling. That's our priorities, right? It's interesting that October 1st, today is October 1st, right? Disney World opened October 1st, 1971. And we're not called to a Disney World lifestyle. It's fun to visit, but that's not where we're to live. We have been given unique priorities and giftings and callings in our life. So when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school, when you go in your house in the neighborhood, when you go about your day, think about it. I'm here for a purpose. I'm not just filling space and time. I'm here for a purpose, a unique purpose. And so as you go from here today and this week, I pray that you'd be mindful of God's calling on your life and that we would all seek to honor him in all that we do. So you were dismissed to have a blessed day. We've had a great morning of worshiping our Lord through prayer and song and teaching. We invite you to visit our website, which is fellowshipwaco.org. We can help you get plugged in with a life group or Bible study, and there's tons of information there. And we'll see you next week.